Welcome to the Family Finance Show with Diana Granu, proudly brought to you by Old Mutual. This podcast is your weekly guide to effective budgeting, planning, and future-proofing of your family's finances. Because money matters to every family, and every family matters at Old Mutual. Enjoy the show. My name is Diana, and this is the Family Finance Show, the podcast to help you manage your family's finances better. Every week, we share an episode on topics relating to increasing your family's income and managing expenses, controlling your debt, and investing for the future. Today, my guest is Simon Brown, founder at Just One Nap. Simon, today we're talking about buying shares. This is a subject you know plenty about, but I think a lot of people are very interested in buying shares, but they just jump into it with no foundational understanding of what the stock market is or how to buy shares or even the the companies that they're buying so they can make some costly mistakes. So I thought let's start with the basics. When you're buying a share, what exactly are you buying? I mean, that's a great point to start because when we buy a share, far too often we're, as you alluded to in your introduction there, far too often we're sort of focusing on, are we going to be rich in a hurry? What you're actually doing when you buy a share is you are buying a slice of a business. Now, you know, we, we could equate that to your local pizza parlor down the road and, and, and that owner, you know, offers you an, an, an option to, to essentially buy into that pizza parlor and, you know, you would invest a, you know, a couple of thousand rand and you would now literally own some of that pizza parlor. And that gives you, you know, sort of three rights. The one is that every year the, 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 the books are done and is there a profit and if there is uh, what's done with that profit and maybe that gets returned to shareholders as a dividend um, you get to vote on on important decisions and the like and of course you literally own a slice of that business and therefore could sell it to somebody else if you can find a, win, a willing buyer but the, the, the point is i think far too many people forget that when they are buying a share they're actually buying a business and i almost said a viable business but that's not necessarily true you're buying you're buying a business and you now own a a a probably truthfully a small part of that business um and your potential for profit or you know is going to be dependent on on how the business does that business which is you know it, it's got a, a strategy it's got staff it's, it's got costs it's got income and and all those other bits that that go with 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 uh, owning and operating a business exactly and i think people they don't see it at the share at buying shares is actually owning the business and i suppose that's the the first thing that you that you need to understand i think the second thing that people need to understand and they often get confused about is the difference between trading and investing. So I think most people, when they think of buying shares, they're thinking of trading shares. What is the difference between trading and investing? I take it simply and say, you know, is your intent to hold this share for long term? Is the intent to hold this share, you know, perhaps until a retirement or a, a, a big event in your life, which, which you know, is, is measured in years rather than, you know, months or, or maybe weeks away? Um, and, and if the intent is, is, is relatively short term, you know, you, you bought Sassel because you thought it could double in money before the end of the year, well, then you are trading. Um, and, and truthfully, whilst a lot of people start in the trading space, they've absolutely come to it from the wrong direction. They should start with that investing because I, you know, I can tell you a number, a handful of, of good quality shares in the JSC that over an investment lifetime measured in decades is going to give you inflation beating return. 
that's, you know, I want to say it's easy, but it's not the hardest thing in the world. If, if you ask me where a share price is going to be in the next hour or week or month, that becomes a whole lot more complicated uh, and hence uh, significantly risky. And that's even before we, we start looking at the sort of products that, that then uh, proliferate around the trading space. So you mentioned risk, Simon. What are the particular risks involved in the stock market? And I suppose if you're a business owner, you would have a good sense of what risk there is in running a business and a whole lot of things can impact that. But the stock market is a collection of companies that you're buying mm-hmm. into. So what, what are the risks involved in investing in the stock market? I think they're, they're, they're really t- two risks and maybe two and a half. The first risk is that the company you buy simply goes bankrupt. And that is always a risk. Businesses every day around the world are going bankrupt. And, and, and this happens. And we've, you know, the pandemic has seen a, a number of companies um, that have gone into business rescue. And truthfully, even before the pandemic, this remained a risk. One of the most high profile in, in sort of the last uh, half decade or so, African bank. You know, it, was, it was a giant bank with literally you know, millions of customers and they managed to go bankrupt. So you can lose the money in investment. Now, a couple of important distinctions. You know, you, you've put some money in. You can only put, you can only lose what you've put into the investment. You can't put in a, a thousand rand and lose five thousand rand. That's, that's can happen in trading, but as an investor, you bought the share, that pizza parlor you put some money into, it didn't work, and the pizza parlor goes bust, and, and you end up with probably nothing. Um, and, and you manage that a number of ways, and we, we can touch on that in, in, in a bit. The other risk, I think, which is probably, you know, and that's the risk everyone's scared of, everyone's scared of losing their money. I think the other risk is that where simply your return doesn't beat inflation. Now, how do we create wealth? Well, we spend less than we earn. We take that difference and we invest it in something that would give us a better return than inflation. Simply, if inflation is 5% and our investment is going at 4%, uh, we're actually poorer after a year because our spending power has decreased by that, that 1%. Um, and I think that's a, a risk which is perhaps a little more esoteric. Um, and I think a risk which a lot of people don't really uh, uh, sort of latch onto. But it is real. We, we do need to be uh, beating inflation. And, and yeah, I, I measure my portfolio and I see how I'm doing. And I don't stress it month by month, or truthfully, even year by year. Yeah, I, because I'm a, a long-term investor, I'm focusing on sort of three-year rolling returns. How have I done? How's the market done? Uh, and have I beaten inflation? So am I actually creating wealth? And what about exchange-traded funds? So people say that this is one way to minimize or to control or to mitigate your risk. What is an exchange-traded fund and how can it help you to... Uh, get a better return so it, it absolutely mitigates risk um, and and is the part where where new investors should start and and truthfully 95 percent of investors should only ever i mean you know exchange trade funds do what they they said they would do so what are they they are a basket of shares um, so we many of us will understand the concept of a unit trust uh, which is you invest into it you know, monthly or lump sum. Uh, a management team from Coronation or Alan Gray or somebody will, will take your money and buy the best shares and, and hopefully they will do the hard lifting on your behalf and you can then at some point sell those unit trusts and, and, and make the profit. An exchange-traded fund sits under the same body of legislation, the same concept. The difference being instead of having a group of, 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 of 
fund managers who are trying to beat the market. They say, you know what, beating the market, truthfully, is great, absolutely. But there's a, a, another truth out there, which is that 85% of uh, these active, as we call them, fund managers simply don't beat the market. Um, and we know that because there's a, an annual uh, survey done by Standard & Poor. It's called the SPIVI, uh, Standard Poor Indexation versus Active. And they do it for a number of countries around the world, including South Africa. Um, and only 15%, one in six, actually beat the market. So an ETF says, why don't we just buy you the market? So you buy the, a top 40 ETF and it tracks an index. In this case, the index is the 40 largest shares on the, the JSC. Um, they buy those 40 shares, they put them into a basket and they sell you that basket. This means a couple of things. It means that, you know, when African Bank, well, not so much African Bank, but when Steinhoff collapsed and Steinhoff lost you know, 70% of its value in one day, uh, it was sitting in the, the, in the ETF. I, I owned it via my ETFs. But my ETF fell about 1% because you've got 40 shares. So there are 39 other shares that are protecting you. You know, it's like instead of buying a single pizza parlor, you, you know, went and bought 40, but they weren't even all pizza parlors. Some were bars, some were, were food retailers, some were, you know, curry and rice. I mean, all those different sort of uh, businesses to de-risk that process. And then the person says, but all I'm going to then get is the market return. And absolutely, you're not going to beat the market. More importantly, perhaps, is you're not going to underperform the market. And what I mean by that, if the market does 10% in a year, you're going to do 10%. You're not going to do 12 or 15. You're not going to do 3 or 4%. You will do that 10%. And what we know is that over the long term, the, the stock market as an aggregate is the best performing asset class we have. And it beats inflation, that important point I made just earlier. So in the short term, and we saw that at the beginning of this year when the pandemic hit back in March, uh, world over, markets collapsed and you know, your, your ETFs followed suit. What then happened was markets have recovered subsequent to that. And again, so have your ETF. So if you checked your ETF on the 1st of January and you woke up today and checked your ETF again, your price has hardly changed and you would be unaware of the bankruptcies that have happened on the, the JSC and globally. You would be unaware of, of market collapses. Um, and we call them passive because they're absolutely that. You buy them um, and you can pretty much fire and forget and, and you know, just put your money either lump sum or, or, or do it on a, a, a regular monthly or, or ad hoc basis. Uh, you buy those ETFs as markets rise, you create that wealth um, and at times they will fall, but over the long term they will rise and create that wealth for you. Personally, I'm a big fan of ETFs. I find them I, I'm not a professional investor and I also don't have the time to go and look at company st uh, statements and figure out which is a good company to buy. So for me, it's just it's just perfect. I'm happy with average returns because over the long term, if you have a very long investment horizon, that's how you're going to build wealth, as you mentioned before. It absolutely is. And that's why I said for 95% of people, ETFs are absolutely everything you need. You know, investing in the market, is is it takes time. It, it, it's complexity. It's a skill that anybody can learn, but not everybody wants to learn it. Um, and truthfully, I'm, I'm a huge fan. If I look at my overall, my, my complete investment portfolio, uh, around 56% of, of those investments are in ETFs. Um, I'm actually increasing that number and you know, I'm trying to get it to around 65% in the next couple of years. 
and probably by the time I get to a retirement age, it'll be around 75%. Because one of the biggest risks to my investment portfolio is not politicians and pandemics and all of that. It's me. You know, I, although I've been in this industry for decades, I still have capacity to do stupid things that cost me money. Exactly. Exactly. Like all of us. I'm glad you hear that you're also human. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so also the other thing for people to to really understand and to look at is fees because obviously mm -hmm. we did a whole other episode on fees so we're not going to go into fees in detail here but ETFs also have a low often have a low cost structure and you must just try and get the lowest cost possible yeah I mean, and that's exactly it I mean a fee is essentially a drag it's money not in your pocket um, as we don't have to go down the rabbit hole but fees are hugely important we do live in a golden age of, of fees that 20 years ago we couldn't have dreamed of them being so low mm, yeah agreed um, so Simon what influences a share, a share price and how do you know if you're getting a bargain from a share <laughs> okay, now, now we could go down a rabbit hole and never return. True. So, so what influences the share price? There is the short term and the long term. And ultimately, the long term influence on a share price is going to be the quality of the business and their ability to make profits and to increase those profits uh, year after year. And that's why I said earlier, you know, if you, if you ask me for a share for 10 years, I can give you a couple of them. And they're going to be the boring companies. They're going to be the food retailers and the banks because you know, their business models are fairly simple, uh, their products are in demand, and we know that over the 10, 20 year time horizon, their earnings will steadily rise over time. So long term, influenced by the company and their ability to generate profit. Short term, truthfully, chaos reigns. And I'll give you an example. So the oil price falls and then MTN falls. And people are like, why the heck is MTN falling because of the oil price? Well, because MTN's biggest market is not South Africa, it's Nigeria. Nigeria's biggest industry is oil. So oil falling, well, now suddenly we have worries around Nigeria, so we have worries around MTN. So, you know, suddenly a politician in America can say something that makes a, a oil drop and your MTN price is falling. So in the short term, it is very much emotion driven. As we're recording this, we're a couple of weeks out from the US election and there's you know, lots of fears around blue waves or, or you know, uh, 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 Trump second terms uh, and, and you know, Democrat uh, 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 sort of similar spending. And, 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 and you know, that's got portions of the market in jitters. And that then creates sort of day to day and week to week uh, price fluctuations as the market is trying to work out how things are going to look in six or 12 months time. But that really is the, the space of traders. As a long-term investor, I'm not worried about 2021 for my investments. I'm worried about 2030, 2040, you know, literally decades in, in time which means that those price op then give opportunity to people such as myself, those long-term investors, to the second part of your question is, how do we know that a share offers value? Um, and there are, I mean, there's an entire industry and, 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 you know, the entire financial services industry and, and unit trust managers and retirement annuity product managers locally and globally, this is all they do. This is their entire profession. There is no sort of uh, golden, this is it and nothing else matters. There are complex concepts such as discounted cash flow, which is probably the most popular. And that basically says, look, a share is worth how much cash it's going to generate. So let's try and predict that. But, you know, the important word there was predicting. And, and truthfully, 
and not to disparage the experts here, but I mean, it's, 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 it's largely going to be guesswork because our ability to see into the future is pretty much the same for everyone. It, it is zero. No one saw the pandemic coming. You know, you know, we, just, we, we, we can make what I suppose we can politely call educated guesses, but we don't know. So valuations do become very tricky and they are very important if you're buying individual shares because, you know, a great share at a bad price and by a bad price, I mean expensive, you know, if, if, and let's take ShopRite as an example, at 200 Rand, ShopRite is a brilliant company, but at 200 Rand, that share price is bitterly expensive. Uh, at 100 Rand, it's the same ShopRite. It's exactly the same business, but it's half the price, which means when we see the market falling as we did back in, in, in March of this year due to uh, pandemic concerns. Essentially, we were having a sale on the JSE, the counters such as ShopRite, which traded at 100 Rand, and others that were suddenly significantly cheaper than they'd been a month or a year earlier. Um, but we get scared. You know, whereas when Woolies has a sale, we all rush off and, and stock up on, on, on the fancy Woolies product. So valuation is immensely complex. And, and the key point here, though, is if we're looking at exchange-traded funds, valuations start to not worry. You know, I do my ETFs, so you know, first of March every year, I, I stock up on my, my tax-free account, and I'm, I'm fortunate enough that I can do that in a single lump sum at the beginning of March. Um, and then over the rest of the course of the year, I do monthly debit orders every month. And I don't worry, is the market expensive or is the market cheap? Because again, I'm buying that basket of shares. And if you go offshore, your basket might be 500 or 1,200 or 1,600 individual shares. You're buying a basket, and in there, there will be some expensive shares, uh, there will be some cheap shares, uh, but both of those terms are going to be subjective, and what I might think expensive, someone else might think it's cheap. And again, it's why, as an ETF investor, it's just so much easier, because those nuances as to valuation, as to cheap and expensive, actually start to fall away, and it's more just a case of making sure you're investing into the market, uh, using the power of the time that you have, and then the fancy phrase, which is the rand cost averaging. You know, when markets fell in April, I got more bang for my buck, the same amount of money, but I managed to get more ETFs when I did my transactions in March and April and sort of May and June as markets were recovering. It's just another reason why ETFs are just such a wonderful vehicle for newbie or even experienced investors like yourself. They just offer so much value. I liked what you said, Simon, about the valuation being something complex. I think people underestimate how complicated it is. And that's why stock tips from your friends or colleagues are just the worst. <laughs> it's honestly the, the one mistake I made, which was just a deviation from my standard uh, investment strategy, was taking a tip. Uh, from a colleague and I, and I didn't do the proper research. So I just did that once and never again. I think if you if you want to do that, you really have to make the effort to do proper research or you've got to pay someone to manage your money if you don't have the time or the skills to do that proper research. You can't just speculate like that because you could end up losing a lot of money, which is also another reason why ETFs are just great. Um, although these days there are so many ETFs out there, it's also hard oh, to yes. choose choose the right one. And you also do need to do your research around ETFs. Yeah, and, and just a quick point on the, the stock tip around the bri. And, and you know, the person giving the tip is doing it with all good intention. But let's also be perfectly honest around this. You know, I'm involved in the industry. 
I don't get proper hot tips myself. With all respect, your friend at the braai probably isn't that close to the actual action. This tip is very old, or it's a, and it's an idea, or it's a theory. So, as you say, you take that, you go and do your own research, not just around the business, but around the valuation and its potential. Um, because you know, it, it, yeah, I, I mean, no one gives me hot tips. I mean, it would be illegal if they did, but I mean, I, you know, I'm in the industry and I don't get them. Um, so Simon, just to end, I uh, end always with the last question that I ask all my, de- my all my guests, which is, what is the one piece of financial advice that you would like would have liked to have passed on to your younger self or on to a niece or nephew? Cool. Um, so I'm going to sort of squeeze two of them into one, and, and and the one is that it's not as complex as we think it is, but but really the important one is is that you know don't get sucked into the quick wealth. Understand that this is a process, and that if we're happy that it's going to take time, it is the easiest thing in the world. I mean, as I said earlier, you know, how do we create wealth? Well, we spend less than we earn. We take the difference and we buy an ETF every month. Now, that's easy to say. I appreciate it's harder to do. Um, but if I'd, if, I'd, if I'd known that back in my youthful self, uh, I'd be in a significantly better space uh, sitting here in pandemic 2020. Simon, thank you so much for your time today here on the Family Finance Show. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to stay on the journey to improving your family's financial well-being. Thank you for listening to the Family Finance Show with Diana Granu. Proudly brought to you by Old Mutual. The time is now to own your financial future. Visit oldmutual.co.za for more great advice, articles, free budgeting tools and calculators, or to find a financial advisor. We'll be back next week.